Welcome to the MindBeat podcast by Effective School Solutions. I'm your host, Duncan Young, CEO of Effective School Solutions. And I'm your co-host, Lane Whitaker, Senior Director of Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions. The MindBeat podcast is the definitive source for all topics related to school-based mental health, from sharing best practices to highlighting innovative school districts to keeping track of legislation. MindBeat is the go-to source for educators and administrators looking to implement a mental health care continuum. Together, we can make a difference in school-based mental health care and in the lives of students, families, and educators. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the MindBeat podcast, powered by, sponsored by Effective School Solutions. Uh, powered by? I like Powered by. I like by, that. Lane. I like yeah. Powered by. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing really well, actually. I have to tell you, just as I was listening to you do the intro, you do have a great podcasting voice. I don't know if anyone's told you that, if you're getting that feedback. Why? Well, thank <laughs> you. Thank you, Lynn. <laughs> but you do. You have a great voice for this. Yeah, it's awesome. Like they say, I've got a face made for radio. A as face the, made. As the expression, as the expression <laughs> I goes, I have heard right? that so, before, yeah. <laughs> uh, how's everything going with you? Everything's going really well. I, um, I can't complain. It's... Uh, I just started doing my gardening over the weekend. I'm a big time gardener. It makes me so happy. I can't even tell you how happy my garden makes me. So uh, perennials are starting to bloom. I've got some clematis. If you're aware what that is, it's a, a flowering vine. It is about to go insane. I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm like taking pictures. I see all the blooms getting ready to bud. My, um, my a lot of my perennials are coming up now, and my peonies are about to bloom. Like any day now, they're going to bloom. So well, we got to go. Like, I, so I need your advice. I've got a pergola, and I yeah. want something that will grow. Up mm-hmm. the pergola. Mm. I've never had success with grape this, so leaves. Grape wisteria. leaves. There's a couple. Of, do you want it to smell nice too? There's a sure. couple like flowers. Nice. Smelling nice is always a positive. We'll talk uh, after the positive show. Thing. Okay. We'll, yeah, we'll, good <laughs> stuff. Well, so we're going to keep the banner short today because we've got a uh, packed schedule, a great interview, longer interview coming up with uh, you know three three guests. We've got uh, Marta Audino, Dr. Sylvia. Zercher, who are um, a, a director of uh, special services and a school superintendent, respectively, in districts that we uh, work with. I'm sorry, Marta is a director of student services and uh, and programs. Uh, and then we've got Mike Roseman, who is yeah, our Mike. Uh, yeah senior vice president mm-hmm. of uh, district partnerships here at uh, <laughs> at, at ESS. So they're going to talk about uh, a, a variety of topics, and in particular a topic on restorative community service and um, uh, kind of the latest and greatest on MTSS in the mental health domain. They're going to be co-presenting at the New Jersey Association of School Administrators Conference here later in the, cool. in the month. So why don't we jump right into our top three list, our in the news, and then we'll, we'll get very quickly into uh, our discussion with Marta, Sylvia, and Mike. Okay, uh, Lane, so uh, our top three for today is uh, top three ways to celebrate mental health awareness in the classroom. So as we know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So I'm going to share top three ways to celebrate mental health awareness in the classroom or the, or the broader school community. So the first thing is to uh, have an event, host an event in class or at school that's based on something related to mental health and wellness. This could be a yoga class, something focused on mindfulness, meditation, you could bring in a speaker for your your older students. Uh, you know, it's always a good time to focus on a critical topic like suicide prevention. So that could be uh, something where a speaker could be a, a great a great fit. Um, 
You know, you could also uh, read together or assign an age-appropriate book around mental health. You could do kind of a a grade-wide a grade-wide kind of a, a, a reading group or something kind of of that nature. And then the final thing might be to do kind of a contest of some type. You could do a decreased screen time contest. This is something that was actually suggested by uh, the kids of one of our ESS staff members, which was a uh, you know contest. Basically, we can all kind of track our screen time. Uh, you know, no matter what kind of device that you have. But, uh, you know, something where you're challenging individuals to reduce their screen time, they can send in screenshots of how much time they spend online and you can recognize everybody who gets below like an hour per week or or something like that. So top three ways to celebrate mental health and awareness in the classroom or the school community. All right. So the article for today is uh, from the Washington Post Education, One School Solution to Mental Health Crisis, Try Everything. <laughs> and I appreciate this article. It really is like spaghetti on the wall. Just what, what works, we'll try everything um, as this uh, mental health pandemic increases. So one of the uh, pieces of data that they mentioned early on in the article was super disturbing to me, that uh, one in every three high school girls is con- has considered suicide, uh, which is really high, high numbers. Um, and if not suicide, then 40% of teens were persistently sad or hopeless. Um, it, this is wild too. I know that when my son was young at 12 for the, his regular checkup, they started doing depression screenings. Now they've recommended that those screenings start as early as eight years old. So it talked about how a number of districts from New York City to um, Appalachia to a number of school districts, different things that they have tried SEL programs, um, different, um, you know, ways to try to connect students to, uh, different Medicaid services and outside resources. There, uh, is another kind of piece of information that I thought was really disturbing is that they were saying how many people have, um, you know, really succumbed to drug habits during the pandemic and then which has left a lot of kids without parents living with grandparents and now worried about, you know, having anxiety about COVID taking their grandparents, which is providing stability. So there's just so many things going on. So I appreciated that this article kind of outlined the problems as well as a, a variety of ways to address it. Um, I don't know that we've found the single best solution, but there's a lot of uh, of good things to read about in this article. So I recommend it. Check it out. All right. Well, Lane, we are incredibly excited to have with us today three distinguished guests. Um, we have uh, two practicing school administrators and then a member of our ESS team. Uh, Marta Audino is our first guest. Uh, Marta is in her eighth year as Director of Student Services and Programs for the Hamilton Township Board of Education in Hamilton, New Jersey. Uh, Hamilton is the seventh largest school district in the state, 24 schools, alternative special education program, big district. We've got uh, Dr. Sylvia Zercher. Uh, Sylvia is currently serving as superintendent of schools in South River Township, Middlesex County, New Jersey. And she is also the county's representative on the New Jersey Association of Superintendents, Governmental Relations Committee, Curriculum and Instruction Committee, and the vice president of the Middlesex County Superintendents Association, 
welcome Sylvia. And then last but certainly not least, we have a member of our Effective School Solutions team, uh, and that's Mike Roseman. Mike is our Senior Vice President of District Partnerships for ESS. Uh, as part of this role, he oversees the development of new district partnerships and programs as uh, you know, we as an organization continue to try to broaden our clinical programming to impact more students, families, and schools across the country. So welcome, Marta, Sylvia, and Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Great. So what we really want to get to, I know the three of you have teamed up. are going to be doing a presentation at the uh, New Jersey Association of School Administrators uh, later here in the, in the month of May. I don't know exactly when this is going to be airing, but I think that's kind of May 15th through 17th, NJ uh, ASA. So definitely want to talk about the work that you guys are doing. I thought we might be able to... Uh, Take a step back and just very briefly get a little bit of a sense for some of your backgrounds. I mean, we, we just went through kind of the, the kind of resume style background, but uh, Marta, Sylvia and, and Mike, could you maybe just, you know, give us 30 seconds about uh, Marta and Sylvia, how you got into uh, uh, education and, uh, you know, some of the most impactful career experiences that you've, you've had. Uh, Sylvia, maybe we could start with you. Sure. Um, I actually started my career um, as a social worker. Um, for Catholic Charities, working with families and children doing case management. Um, and then I transitioned to a role in, in education as an elementary school teacher, um, and a reading specialist, and then eventually um, was really invested in, um, in the leadership side of, of education. And that's when I pursued my credentials to become a school administrator. Um, I was a very happy principal of a wonderful school in Mercer County for quite some time, a director of curriculum and instruction, and then now as a superintendent. And I've really enjoyed every role that I've held. Um, I appreciate my time in social work because it just really has helped me better understand what families, what children are going through um, and how to best support their needs. Thanks, Sylvia, for sharing. Uh, Marta? Um, and I think for me, um, so in my role in Hamilton, I also oversee the special ed department. So for me, it started years and years ago when I was a camp counselor working with special needs children. And it really kind of opened my eyes to, you know, wanting to make a change and geared me towards working with special needs students, which kind of has evolved from being a special ed teacher to a teacher coach, to a supervisor, to a director of student services, and it's kind of broadened my you know, outlook on the differences of students, not only physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, but how everyone kind of sees things differently, works differently. Um, and my role here in Hamilton has just keep, kept evolving. You know, students have changed over the amount of time I've been here, looking at their social emotional learning, looking at their mental health and, you know, really becoming a focus for the district and for me personally. Thanks, Marta. So, Marta, when, you, when you've seen that transition take place with students over the past couple of years, how, how ready were you and how ready was the system to kind of manage the changing mental health needs that students have presented with kind of over the last, you know, five, seven years? Um, I think it's really changed. And I think that in order for us to change with it, we need to see what the students' needs are and the district has to change with it because the students are not going to, you know, change on their own. I think for me, being that we already had a relationship with ESS, it made it easy to kind of pivot on what we were doing or add new services according to what our students needed. Um, I'm really lucky to have um, 
I don't know what Melissa's official title is, but my contact for ESS, we work really, really well together. Uh, we talk all the time and I can call her and say, hey, we have students that are really struggling with um, their mental health, really struggling with, uh, you know, making suicide ideations or really in crisis. And how do we address that? And being able to brainstorm just with my team and then with the ESS team to come up with plans. Um, and it evolves each year. So just because we do something one year doesn't mean that that's set in stone because our students, like I said, our students' needs keep changing. Um, was I ready for it? Probably not. I'm not sure anyone was ready for it, you know, the COVID pandemic to hit um, and really change what learning looked like from being, you know, home learning to back to school and be able to focus on getting kids back. But I do think that we're doing a pretty good job of, you know, maintaining students in school, recognizing that everyone's different and that we can't meet everyone's needs with the same, you know, prescription. Yeah, no, well well said, Marta. Uh, Mike, uh, walk us through your background. Sure. So um, I came to ESS four years ago. I spent most of my career, as uh, you noted, working at Edmentum, which is a leading provider of curriculum assessments and professional services. Um, and was a teacher before that. But I think what drew me to ESS was two things. First is the mission of the organization. So once I became a parent, I saw firsthand kind of the impact that mental health challenges had on uh, my child. And I knew I wanted to be a part of kind of this innovative organization that was reinventing mental health in school. And then secondly, was just the disruptive nature of the innovation. So when I was at Study Island and kind of the disruptive approach that that took towards assessment, I really enjoyed the, uh, the old quote from like the robots movie of see a need, fill a need. And I think that that's what uh, ESS has really been doing uh, in the mental health care uh, space. Awesome. So I want to just welcome all of you again. Thank you so much for being here. And so I'm really curious. I, I heard you just mention um, that the students' needs are always changing. And so that made me curious about what is your take on the state of mental health over, like, let's say, the last five years? Because I think that they, you know, um, what we were seeing is that mental health was already declining pre-pandemic. And so I'm curious what you think about pre-pandemic versus during, which, you know, you could debatable that we're still in it versus right now. So what have the last five years been like? What have the trends been like in mental health that you guys have seen? I think I, I would say that what I've noticed is that, um, you know, not intentionally, but mental health seems to be misunderstood. And so when I think, for example, about the people that work with kids every day, and again, it's not intentional, um, but because it is misunderstood, it often can lead to um, poor relationships, um, which then can lead to um, students lacking motivation to be in school. And so therefore now you see attendance issues, um, difficulty uh, just with overall completion of, of academics and, and um, progress. And, and then of course, um, higher rates of discipline. And we saw that definitely um, when we returned from the pandemic um, because during the pandemic, students lost their opportunity to maintain a routine, maintain and build positive relationships with the adults that work with them. Um, and so they came back to school having to readjust. And, and as a result of that, um, and the adults had to readjust as well. And as a result of that, we saw a large increase um, in discipline, 
referrals, suspensions, and and so on. Marty? And I think from my perspective, I think really the challenges that we're seeing is having students really reintegrating into that social structure of school. There are students that missed almost, you know, two years of contact with students or other kids their own age. Um, I think we've seen increased anxiety, stress, depression, some trauma. Um, someone that I was presenting with recently made a really good analogy of when 9-11 happened, we saw everyone come together and everyone say, let me help my neighbor. What can I do to help you? Let me be there for you. But then when this happened, it was don't go near anyone. Don't touch anyone. Mm -hmm. Don't come close to anyone. And I think it created that okay, I'm not going to help my neighbor. I'm not going to go to the same food store. We're fighting over paper towel. We're fighting over toilet paper. You know, I think that created a whole different layer of how we work together and that it kind of spills over into the classroom too. And I agree with Sylvia, our discipline numbers have been really um, increased in the past couple of years. Yeah, I had a clinician tell me a couple of days ago that their observation was that they felt like the true impact of the pandemic was almost just being felt right now because all of the deficits, Sylvia, that I think you described and Marta that you described as well, kind of the lack of socialization, the kind of lost repetitions about, you know, you know, kind of just a, a socialization and, and building of academic stamina, like like those chickens are coming home to roost now, like the second order effects of kids acting out, kids declining academically are, are just now starting to be felt. Is that kind of matching with what the two of you are seeing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, it's also about um, a misunderstanding for what a mental health issue might be for a child and um, misunderstanding when a, when a student is being oppositional or um, you know, just not not following the the typical rules or or uh, the routines. Um, what the root cause of that may actually be. Mike, what are you observing out there? I think the only thing I'll add is that we're talking about the severity and the number of students presenting with complex mental health challenges going up. But what we're seeing as opposed to five or six years ago is that access to care is decreasing. So, so many more kids are having issues, but it's like the laws of supply and demand. So demand is at all time high, supply is at an all time low. And I think that that's like why schools have kind of become the de facto hub for mental health support, because at least during the eight to three or eight to four hours, you can provide equitable access to care that kids can't get uh, in the community. And you know, Mike, that's what's really concerning too, is that, you know, as um, Duncan was just saying that it seems like we're really seeing the true effects of the pandemic now. And now is when like ESSER funds are drying up and a lot of resources, mm -hmm. when now this is like the real mental health crisis, which sounds crazy because it was really bad during and before, but this is the real mental health pandemic and we have less resources than we have previously. Um, so I'm curious um, for both Marta and Sylvia, can each of you briefly describe the, the continuum of mental health supports that you offer in your districts? How are you making the uh, multi-tiered systems of support a reality in your districts? Who wants to go first, anyone? Oh, I'm ready to go first. Um, so I, I think for us, um, each year we keep adding something so to help support that. So tier one, we're really 
looking at, at um, within the classroom. So the level within the classroom. So multi-tiered systems of support, not only for academics, but also for mental health, focusing on um, a committee that we had put together that was made up of some teachers, administrators, child study team members, parents, and um, administrators that focused on, you know, what can we do at the ground level? And we did come up with a um, basically called Character Strong, which is a um, a program that focuses on um, challenges that students have within the classroom, but it's something that we wanted to find from K to 12 so that whatever's being focused on in the elementary level, that we could have a conversation at dinner and you might have a third grader, an eighth grader, and an 11th grader, and they're all focusing on similar topics, maybe at a different level, but really opening that conversation within families. Um, we did that. We also looked at our need for professional development for teachers. Um, so, you know, not just always focusing on this new reading program or writing program, because we all know that if our students are, aren't available mentally, they're not going to be available to learn, you know, the academic part. So really looking at ongoing professional development, looking at that common language that we can use within the classroom, within, like I said, within the grade level spans. Um, and then we also looked at, you know, having our guidance counselors available. We added more support services at the elementary level for guidance um, because our guidance counselors were getting really weighed down, didn't have time to really focus on all the student needs. So that was one of the layers we added. Tier two, um, we added, that's where ESS came in initially. We really do some crisis screening. We had started, I think, with two clinicians. Actually, I think we started with one clinician. We're at six at this point, and they're focusing district-wide. Um, when I look at our numbers from last year to this year, I think our total number last year is already where we were at in January this year of students that were seen. Um, we look at trends. So we look at the students that are seen. We're looking at the causes that they're seen for and um, again, kind of goes back to what our student needs are, and we've put together groups. So six to eight weeks of those quote unquote frequent flyer students are really working in you know small groups with the um, ESS staff to really focus on their needs. And then some of them are done in those eight weeks, some of them might continue. Um, and then at our tier three, um, we are really looking at intensive in-school clinical support, which we were doing, to be honest, pre-COVID. Um, we recognized the need for that. We recognized the cost efficiency for the district of that the students that intentionally <coughs> are in that program could be students that go out of district. Um, we have it at two of our three high schools. I'm happy to say that with the budget that was just passed the other night, we are adding services to our third high school for the fall. Um, so, like I said, really are recognizing what the changes are of our students and then keep adding services to meet those needs. Um, and well, so what I appreciate about that is that you were talking about the professional development for teachers as the, as the senior director of professional learning. I really do appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, well, because we had Arnie Duncan on a few weeks ago, too, or maybe a month or so ago, too. And we were talking about how, you know, you have to Maslow before you bloom and that, um, you know, as much as there's this desire to get back to academic rigor, we'll never reach those mountaintops until these mental health issues are addressed. So, um, you know, I'm curious, too, what you, what do you think about mental health for our 
teaching staff or just our, our educational staff. My experience um, in schools right now is showing me that a lot of teachers are leaving the field entirely um, and are burned out and stressed out and are really experiencing a lot of uh, hardships through the pandemic and experiencing a lot of intense behaviors in the classroom. How do you support your, your teaching staff during this time? So we've done some quote unquote mental health days. Do I think that's enough? Probably not. Um, we do little blurbs of PD for them on a weekly basis that, but they have to log in and view it. Um, but I, I agree. We probably could do more. Um, and a lot of teachers are leaving. Uh, we do try to build it in time for them to meet weekly, time for them to debrief. Um, but it's hard. It's hard mm -hmm. for everyone. I think everyone's overwhelmed. I think, like you said, teachers are seeing behaviors that they've never seen before. Mm -hmm. um, our general ed teachers, unsure of what to do. You know, we've added some behavior con consultation. We have really focusing on our MTSS system, like I, I talked about before, for all the levels of that. Um, but I do think that it's important when you're talking about PD that you're talking about your staff mm -hmm. too and about themselves, not just PD to focus on what the students are going right, to do. Right. Thank you. Sylvia, oh. do you want to respond? Sure. Um, well, for us, you know, as a district, we looked at a multiple pronged approach, I think. And so we really assessed um, the current status of our own mental health providers in district and we expanded staffing in that regard. So we knew that we wanted specialized people um, in the district and then um, to expand that, we then also contracted um, with ESS for um, additional support from their clinicians as well. So therefore we were building our own staff up as well as um, partnering with ESS in order to get that additional um, contracted support as well. We, um, we also uh, really thought about what our teachers and staff needs are. And, um, and that was from everybody from our, you know, general education teachers, to our special education teachers, to our lunch aid staff um, and what their needs were. And we started to build a professional development program. And again, some of these professional development activities were um, were developed by in-house um, staff and some were um, provided by ESS. And again, having that good combination um, and bringing those two things together. Um, we also started to look at what were the measures that we were using to identify the needs of students mm -hmm. and, to, and to tier the needs of students. And so we started to really take a look at what are multiple measures are, um, how we wanna use that data to inform those types of decisions who was going to be um, responsible, right, for, for overseeing that data, for overseeing the progress of the students. And then we also knew that we had to extend beyond the school day. So we were providing services. We felt confident we were providing good services for kids in school. But then what does that look like when our kids are out of school? And what does that look like in an extended format for families? So how were we supporting the child, but then also um, the family as well with supports beyond the school day. And so we partnered um, again with ESS in that regard for having some of our clinicians provide those services um, for parents um, and for families, as well as some other um, providers to make health, uh, mental health services uh, available for, um, for our families, especially those families with financial need. We have 
54% of our student population on free and reduced lunch. And many of our families do not have health insurance. And so helping them access mental health services outside of the, the school day is, is also critical for us. And then um, we started to look at um, some programs in, in terms of reduction and, and in terms of addressing those high suspensions. And that's how we got into restorative community service. We said, how can we make kids feel that they have a purpose, that they belong to a community in school, that they can work towards making that community better instead of disrupting it? How can we um, help students feel like they're part of something? And instead of feeling punished and addressing every issue through punitive means, how could we how could we change that? Um, and that's when we initiated the Restorative, Restorative Community Service Initiative, which um, allows our students with um, just minor infractions to instead of facing an in-school suspension and removing them from their academic courses um, or an out-of-school suspension to do a community service um, initiative instead. And with that, um, we didn't just want to assign kids to service we wanted them to have a clinician component, um, which is again why we partnered with ESS. So our students always go through a pre-service um, session with a clinician. Um, they conduct their community service project and then afterwards they have a post-service to really reflect on the whole experience and how that experience impacted um, their school life and their life in, in general. So this have been some of our our initiatives in, in addressing uh, the needs of students pre-pandemic and um, certainly during and post-pandemic. That's great. Super, yeah. super ro robust continuums that I think you both set up, Marta and Sylvia. And Sylvia, I love the restorative community yes. service initiative. I mean, just so innovative. Can you talk a little bit about like the genesis of that? If I'm not mistaken, there was some research that, that some foundational research that you had looked at that kind of was the inspiration for that? Sure. So, so the concept actually came out of the criminal justice system, the juvenile criminal justice system, where we saw juvenile detention centers were um, getting kids engaged in more and more community service. And as a result of that, they started to see just the overall um, um, improvement in, in behavior in, in, um, in their juveniles. And so... To some extent, we took that research and, and said, well, how does that apply to our environment, which is, of course, very different from a juvenile um, criminal system. And we started to think about um, just that element of service to your community, service to your school, being able to contribute, being able to feel like a contributing member of your school community. And we thought we could do that both in-house in our schools, but then we could also extend that to the community with a community partner. Um, and so that's what we did. We went out to the community, we sought out um, community partners that could link our students to different service opportunities um, in our town. And we saw, we, we were happy to see that our students were welcome and they were made to feel welcomed. And so that already shifted the perspective of our students. They were appreciated, they were welcomed, they were, um, they were recognized and, and they received co commendations for the work that they were doing. And this was different for some of our students who 
tend to have disciplinary and ongoing disciplinary issues and, and are treated differently because of that. So we started to see this shift. And as we um, implemented more and more community service opportunities, we started to see that students who participated in RCS didn't have repeat disciplinary issues and offenses, which was huge. We started to see, of course, our suspension numbers go down because we were replacing um, the assignment of suspensions with the restorative community service. And then what was even greater was we started to um, see our kids asking to do more service. So now it wasn't about, okay, I did something wrong. I have to get this service project completed. It was more about students understanding um, how good it feels to provide service and to contribute and wanting um, to engage in that type of, of service, um, which we think will, will have a, a great future impact for them moving forward. Um, we also started to see that through their conversations with the clinician, different um, different things were coming up as to what caused the disciplinary issue in the first place, um, what are some of those root causes, what's happening for kids and their families. Um, and now we started to tap into different services and supports we could provide to them. Um, so again, it was just a comprehensive way for, to turn something that had gone wrong, that was a negative, into a positive. Sylvia, I love that so much. And I have to tell you, I used to be a community liaison in Mercer County, and there is a plethora of community partners who are always, I used to work with pregnant parenting teen moms in Mercer County. And there are so many different community partners who love to work with our student populations there. So um, I'm, I'm really excited about that. One, the other piece about that that I have some experience with when I worked with those pregnant parenting teen moms, I became a facilitator in something called Wyman's Teen Outreach Program. And that was a huge component of the program was community service. And you're right. I did see girls who had exhibited really intense behaviors um, suddenly had this community service opportunity. And, you know, we've, I referenced Maslow earlier. I think that really helped them with that belonging piece that I do belong. I'm needed as so many of our students particularly ones that are in free and reduced lunch, um, you know, now they ha have an opportunity to make an impact on their community where they're otherwise feel like I'm a problem. I'm a bad kid. I, I am unworthy. And now, um, as you said, they're being recognized and really feeling that they can contribute even when they don't have much themselves that I can still give back makes them feel so good. So I am really blown away by this program. I, I think it's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, I just want to want to echo that. We're honored and excited to be a part of it kind of with you this year, uh, Sylvia, and uh, just great to see kind of the impact that it's that it's having because it is a, a very innovative way that I think is kind of transforming the way that we think about discipline. And I think we, we always see kind of this tension between, I think, discipline-based approaches and the goals of mental health. And sometimes those don't necessarily kind of pull in the in the same direction. So I think this is a great way to, to, to bridge that gap. And this is one of the couple topics I believe the three of you are going to be presenting on at NJASA later this month, really focusing on the restorative community service approach, but also on kind of tiered systems of support as they apply to mental health in general. Am I getting that correct? Yeah, that, that's a nice summary. Mm -hmm. Great, great. So, I mean, bo both of you have been, um, well, I mean, you know, both of you directly, Marta and Sylvia and Mike, with you as kind of an advisor, you've all got a pretty good glimpse into 
how some districts are approaching the funding of mental health initiatives in a sustainable way. And I think we're hearing that more and more. Uh, I think there's a recognition that um, the mental health challenges students are experiencing right now don't necessarily have an expiration date the way that ESSER funding or, or kind of grant sources do and, and, and whatnot. And uh, Sylvia and Marta, I think both of you have had some success in sustainably funding your own mental health initiatives. Um, my question for the two of you is like, wh- wh- you know, what are some of the tricks of the trade that the two of you uh, are, are using? What advice would you have for other district leaders? And then, Mike, when we get to you, kind of what are you seeing with the broader set of district leaders that you're, you're speaking to? Marta, maybe we could start with you. Sure. Um, so for us, our, um, our Tier 3 program is funded with local funds. Um, we, you know, did a comparison of the amount of students that were being recommended for the program, how many students would be in that program. And we're pretty full at the two of the three high schools that we're implementing already. Um, We looked at the cost per student, including transportation, and it was just really uh, more cost efficient to keep the students obviously within district with with their general ed peers. Um, Our program is for special ed and general ed students. So, you know, either um, anyone could really be part of the program. So we really are funding that with local funds because we do want to make sure that it's something that I continuously budget and that it's sustainable. Um, As for our tier two, we've kind of done a mix. So I do receive IDEA funds. And as part of your IDEA funding, you get something called CEIS funds, which is basically early intervening money. Um, some districts do have to use that, um, are required to use it if they're targeted for something. If not, you don't have to use it, but we do use a portion of that to fund our tier two services because we recognize that it's really a pre-referral. We're really hoping to get the students early as soon as that they have a situation that we're addressing it right away. Um, so that is something that I've budgeted continuously within the IDEA funds. Um, and then we do have, um, two of the therapists that are currently in ESSER funding, which when that runs out, I will roll over um, to either local funds or IDEA. It depends on, you know, what our amounts look like at that time. Thanks, Martin. I think CEIS is a really important point. So part of the goal there, I I assume, is trying to prevent overclassification, trying to address disproportionality, things of of that nature. So thanks for, for sharing that. Sylvia? Yeah, I think uh, very much like Marta in in Hamilton, I think it it begins with helping your board and your community understand the importance of an investment in mental health services for for your children um, and for the professional development for your staff. So I think that's step number one, help your community and your board who oversees your local funding really prioritize it um, and understand how um, that investment eventually does result in um, an overall savings, like like Marta uh, just mentioned. And then, in addition to that, it's it's being creative. So, um, being very much on top of what is out there in in grant funding. So, um, we know that ESSER is coming to a close, um, but already having the foresight um, a a year or two in advance um, to really see what else is out there that can replace some of what we've been able to provide through ESSER. So we're fortunate in my district to have um, a, a grant writer. Um, one of our directors specializes in 
uh, grant funding and uh, seeking grants. So she's been working on this for quite some time. And um, and uh, just that, that combination of, of both is, is what's, what's been uh, successful for us, really um, committing our local budget where, where we need to um, and helping people understand why they should. And then also continuously being out there at the forefront of, of what grant funding is available. Thanks, Sylvia. Uh, Mike, what are, you, what are you observing out there? Yeah, I, I concur with what uh, Sylvia and Marta had said. And, and what I would add is that I think it's important to take a fresh look always at your budget and how you're kind of allocating things, whether that is Title I, whether that is IDEA, whether there is local dollars, just thinking about like, can those ever be redeployed? A uh, couple of other things I would think about is, is Medicaid reimbursement and kind of looking at tapping into those dollars, especially if you're in a state where it can cover both gen ed and special ed students, which seems to be even more and more states, um, the list keeps growing. And then I can't overemphasize, I think the impact that like therapeutic outplacements can have and kind of reducing that on kind of funding your mental health continuum. It's very obvious if you bring students back, the tuition and transportation savings, it's a very real figure that you could share with your board and your business office. But I think also the cost avoidance is something to look at. So if you look at your budget and your two-year trend has been you're increasing the number of therapeutic outplacements, if we know that mental health challenges are on the rise, that's just going to continue going up. And so thinking about how can we cost avoid by investing in mental health uh, is a really significant thing. And then there's also just like hidden costs related to that. So like avoiding litigation as an example by kind of investing in high quality mental health programs within your school. So I think it just it really reinforces the notion of looking at all of the different opportunities you have to fund things and being very prudent about how you uh, expand your mental health continuum. Thanks, Megan. Can I add one more thing real quick? I think, too, Sylvia touched on this. I think that having a supportive board really helps. Like, my board really recognizes the need um, to support our students with mental health issues and really does recognize that it's important. They were really, um, when we were going into the budget for this current year, you know, seeing that the need really does cover the third high school. And although we were sending students to the other two, Um, that it really made sense to add it to a third school. So I think having that board that supports you and is there and then the data to back it up. So I have the data, although they don't ask as much now as that, you know, in the beginning, but really having that data, (coughs) you know, this is the amount of money we're spending, but these are the students that it's it's helping. So I think that's really a valid point, too. Marta, on that topic, are there specific things that you did proactively with your board? Clearly, they've got a tremendous amount of trust in, in you as kind of a steward of that portion of the of the budget. But, you know, uh, earlier days when you were just kind of, you know, building some of those relationships and maybe you were new to the role or they were new to the role, were there certain proactive things that you did kind of with with your board? I, I think for me, I had the luxury of having ESS in my prior district, so I knew what it looked like and I knew how effective it was with the students I worked with prior. So I was going in with a lot of background knowledge that I could share um, and also having the numbers and student names attached to them to say these are students that are really struggling. These are students that were making a recommendation that either they need a really, really intensive in-district program or we're potentially paying this amount for tuition, 
and this amount for transportation and showing real data and real numbers. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike, to, to your point on the on the Medicaid piece, uh, 21 states right now have expanded med- school-based Medicaid to cover both gen ed and special ed. New Jersey could be the 22nd. I think the bill has been passed by the Senate and is kind of you know churning through the machinery of legislature right now. And hopefully we'll get passed and, and signed into law this summer. But we'll see how that uh, how that how that plays out. Um, yeah, well, I want to just say that uh, I could talk to all of you all day. This has been a lovely conversation, but I'm going to close out with a question we ask all of our guests at the conclusion of our interviews, which is uh, particularly Sylvia and Marta, you work in very high pressure jobs. You're responsible for large staff and students, many of whom have a lot of issues. Um, so what is in your mental health toolkit? How do you stay sane and mentally healthy? Uh, is it meditation, jogging, some type of exercise, nature? What is in your go-to kit? And, and Mike, I'd like you to answer as well. If you, I want everybody's mental health toolkit. Um, I think for me, I, I have a lot of internal conversations um, that help me put things in, in perspective. So I'm extremely reflective and so it helps me just prioritize and and gain perspective when things get really, really challenging. Um, I'm lucky in our district, we have um, an education assistance, um, educator assistance program um, that provides mental health services for <coughs> Um, our staff, and I could certainly tap into that myself um, if I needed to. Um, so it's good to know that there's a resource. But really, it's just a lot of, like I said, in, in my internal voice and and helping me prioritize and, and keep things in check when I need to. Yeah. I think for me, um, it's probably a mix of, you know, really trying to split up my you know, my work life with my home life. I have, you know, two boys that are very active and really trying to participate and be active for them. Um, having good friends, you know, Sylvia's social work background comes in handy for me sometimes for someone to talk to. Um, but in all honesty, you know, really trying to balance that work and home life. And it's not easy, that's for sure, because, you know, we're on 24-7. My phone, you know, people can find you at any time, and they do. But I think, you know, really being able to balance that and be able to sometimes, you know, put the phone away. I try to do yoga as much as possible. And I, I, you know, I can tell the difference on the days I go and the days I don't, to be honest. Um, But is it easy? No. But do I love my job? I do. So I I think that helps too. Mike? Uh, For me, it's really physical activity. Uh, I try to run a lot. I play ultimate Frisbee. Shout out to the Frisbeasts if they're listening. Um, I I really find when I'm specifically just like when I'm playing Frisbee, I'm just kind of 100% locked in. And in that Mm -hmm. moment, nothing else kind of matters. And it's the one hour that I can kind of spend with friends. um, And it's a great group and a huge support. So that's uh, kind of my in my mental health toolkit. I've had many meetings with Mike where he's on a treadmill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or he's like i'm gonna turn this the camera is, off guys i'm on a treadmill for this meeting <laughs> this this might be true might be true so mike is it the is it the frizz beats or the frizz beasts ah uh. <laughs> it's the it's the frizz beasts and then my wife plays in a in a in a league or a team called the mother flickers which is a pretty uh. awesome name yeah <laughs> I mean, I'm going to give a shout out to the, any Frizz Beasts listening this far into the podcast on a topic that probably doesn't align to their, like, you know, professional outlook. Like, shout out to them. I mean, that's that's awesome. That's right. So, uh, yeah. Um, 
Well, guys, this was in- incredibly helpful. Uh, you know, Sylvia and Marta, we appreciate both of you uh, uh, so much and everything that you do for your your districts and all of the partnership that you provided to to us kind of over the years. We're honored to partner both in South River uh, and in, in Hamilton. And Mike, just appreciate everything you do for our or our organization. Such a big part of what we're doing here at um, at Effective School Solutions. So. Uh, Thanks to all of you for your time. Great discussion. As Lane mentioned, yeah. I feel like we could kind of go on for, for hours here, but want to be sensitive to your time and uh, just appreciate you and thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Okay. Well, let, let's talk, Lane, about uh, what inspired us this week. Uh, for me, I think I mentioned my dad and some of his health challenges in a prior podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually had his 80th birthday this week, which was which was fun. And my, my brothers and I teamed up and did a video for him. Um, he's someone who was raised in the South and has a variety of like, uh, expressions that kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm, a cricket. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure they made sense in like Mississippi and like, you know, kind of 1947, you know, uh-huh. but like, you know, now you're like, what are you talking about? Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, we did a, we did a video, uh, like styled on the, on the SNL kind of deep thoughts video. Oh, I love so, <laughs> Jack Handy. And so it was basically friends and family, like uh-huh. reading his kind of you know, expressions, most of which are not suitable for this podcast, but uh, are still, <laughs> still a good, good time. So that's kind of what inspired me this week. So how about, cool. how about you? What inspired me? My sister is coming in from Maui. She has not been back to the mainland uh, since 2017. So my father's birthday is this weekend. She's going to surprise him. Um, she's bringing her kids who he hasn't seen in a while. I've seen them. I go to Maui as often as possible, but my dad has not seen them. So I'm super excited for the surprise. Like there's only... How many great surprises are there really in life where you're really surprised? It's usually like, surprise, you have cancer. Surprise, you know, (laughs) some awful thing. So I'm excited to see like a genuine surprise on his face where he is not expecting it all for his daughter and grandchildren to get out the car when we pull out. Positive surprise. I like (laughs) that. Yeah. So I'm inspired by that. Awesome. Well, Lane, great to see you. I'm looking forward to uh, our next podcast. We have a couple of great guests coming up. I won't kind of, uh, you know, reveal those secrets right now, but okay. uh, uh, some really good guests. And then uh, we're going to wrap for the summer at some uh-huh. point, but we, we are going to have at least one more podcast kind of kind of after this. So um, uh, great to see you and have a great rest you of the week. Well, you too. All right. Take care. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, we will see you next time on another episode of the Mind Me podcast powered by Effective School Solutions. Thanks. The MindBeat podcast is a production of Effective School Solutions. MindBeat represents the opinions of Duncan Young, Lane Whitaker, and their guests on the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing a standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, please call the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, the SAMHSA National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP or your local health care provider.